Uh, tonight, I'm excited to jump into our presentation. Tonight, we're talking about Revelation's war in heaven. And if you've ever wondered why there's so many wars on this earth, it's because there was first a war in heaven. And so, uh, as we begin our message this evening, I invite you to bow your heads with me for a word of prayer. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, for this beautiful day that you've blessed us with. We thank you, Lord, for bringing us back here to discover prophecy once again here tonight. Lord, as we continue this journey of studying prophecy, we pray, Lord, that your blessing would be upon us. Lord, uh, we know that there is a special blessing when we study the books of Daniel and Revelation and when we study your word. And we pray, Lord, and we claim that blessing tonight. We pray, Lord, that we would not only be hearers of the word, but that we would be doers as well, Lord, that we would follow you wherever you lead us, Lord. Bless us this evening in our study, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On August 1, 2007, there was a 32-year-old woman named Julia Blackhawk who was driving home from cosmetology school uh, in Minneapolis, Minnesota. She had two small children and she was happy to be starting a new career. And as she was driving home on I-35 West over the Mississippi Bridge, it collapsed and um, injured 145 people and killed 13, including Julia. She was young. She was a young woman with two little kids and the rest of her life ahead of her. Yet she died in a freak accident that was absolutely no fault of her own. Two minutes on either side of that bridge and she would be alive today. And those two children would still have their mom. We struggle to find answers when things like this happen, don't we? We struggle when a young, chi a young child dies of a terrible disease. And there, these are times when people ask the question, where was God when that tragedy happened? Friends, we live in a sin-filled world where people are murdered. A world where Christians are sometimes martyred for their faith. And it's absolutely tragic. So who's responsible for all the human suffering and all the mess that we see going on in this world? Well, Jesus actually answered this question by telling the parable of the wheat and the tares. It's found in your Bibles in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. You can follow along in your Bibles or you can follow along on the screen, whatever you prefer. The Bible says in Matthew chapter 13, verse 24, it says, another parable he, he put forth, that is, Jesus put forth to them, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while men slept, his enemy came and sowed tares among the wheat and went his way. But when the grain had sprouted and produced a crop, then the tares also appeared. So the servants of the owner came and said to him, sir, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have tares? And he said to them, an enemy has done this. So what does all this mean, friends? Well, the disciples wanted to know as well, and so they asked that Jesus explain it further. And so Jesus said, he who sows the good seed is the son of man. That would, that would be Jesus. The field is the world. The good seeds are the sons of the kingdom, but the tares are the sons of who? The wicked one, and the enemy who sowed them is the devil. The harvest is the end of the age, and the reapers are the angels. So the one responsible for all of the suffering that we experience 
on this world is who? The devil. He's the enemy, friends, because God only sowed good seed, he said. And God has always wanted what's best for us. Is that right? God always wants the best for us, but the devil has always wanted to destroy us from the very beginning. In fact, the Bible tells us in 1 Peter 5, 8, be sober, be vigilant, for your adversary, the devil, walks about like what? A roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Friends, the devil wants to devour you. He wants to destroy your life. And if it wasn't for the mercy and grace and protection of God, he would have his way with us, wouldn't he? But it's because of the mercy and God's protection. We, we're able to live as long as we have on this old sin-filled planet, right? Friends, if you've ever felt like you're under attack, it's because you are. There's a war for your allegiance that's going on. Revelation chapter 12, verse 17 tells us, And the dragon, that is the devil, was enraged with the woman, that is the church, and he went to make war with the, rem- the rest of her offspring, who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus Christ. So Satan is at war with Christians, especially those who keep the commandments of God and have the testimony of Jesus. Friends, there is a great controversy that's going on in our world today, and now we are all involved in this mess. So here are some questions that we want to take a look at here tonight. Question number one, where and when did this war between God and Satan begin? And question number two, what is God like? What is his character like? And number three, why does God allow bad things to happen to good people? Have you ever wondered that? I know, I'm sure we all have at times in our lives. So let's go to the Bible tonight to find answers. Amen? We want to go to God's word because God's word is the authority for us as Christians. And uh, we're told that this war took place back uh, in heaven. And uh, the book of Revelation tells us this here in Revelation chapter 12, verse 7. The Bible tells us, And war broke out in heaven. Michael and his angels fought with the dragon, and the dragon fought in his angels. But they did not prevail, nor was a place found for them in heaven any longer. Verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. So there it is, friends, war in heaven. Now, why in the world would there be war in heaven of all places? Well, let's take a moment and look behind the scenes to see what went on in the heart and mind of Satan that led him to rebel against God in heaven. Because we can't understand what's going on down here, friends, until we understand what happened up in heaven millennia ago. The prophet Ezekiel shares more light on this war in heaven. In Ezekiel chapter 28, verses 12 and 14, it describes Satan, also known as Lucifer, like this. It says, Thus says the Lord God, You were the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. You were the anointed cherub who covers. I established you. Friends, Lucifer had a special place near the throne of God. The Bible says that he was the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. He was a beautiful angel. He was one of the angels that stood in the immediate presence of God Almighty. It continues, it says, You were on the holy mountain of God. 
You walked back and forth in the midst of fiery stones. You were perfect in your ways from the day you were created till iniquity was found in you. Friends, contrary to popular belief, God did not create a demon. He did not create the devil. According to the Bible, he created a perfect angelic being that was perfect in all of his ways. This, the picture of Lucifer walking back and forth in the midst of the fiery stone suggests that he existed in the immediate presence or glory of God. But something happened to this wonderful angel. The Bible says iniquity was found in him. He allowed sin to enter his life. And Ezekiel continues to describe this. It says in Ezekiel 28, verse 17, Your heart was lifted up because of your beauty. You corrupted your wisdom for the sake of your splendor. This angel became wrapped up in his own splendor, mesmerized by his own beauty, and his pride led him into sin and rebellion against the God of heaven. But how could this happen in a perfect, in a perfect universe, you ask? Well, friends, there is only one way. God gave him the power of choice. And if you take away the power of choice, you take away the opportunity to love. Let me give you an example of this. My lovely wife and I have now been married for a little over five years, but I want you to all know that I didn't force my dear wife to marry me. Instead, I asked her to marry me. There's a big difference. And praise the Lord, she said, Yes, and we have enjoyed five wonderful years of marriage, and I praise the Lord for that. You see, friends, love cannot be forced, or it's not really love. You can't hold a gun to someone's head and say, love me. It won't work. They can't love you if you're holding a gun to their head. Love must come voluntarily from the hearts. And if you take away the opportunity to love, you take away the ability to be truly happy. And because God desired the ultimate happiness of all of his creatures, he gave them the power of choice. He wanted all of his creation to love him on their own free will. God did not want robots. He did not want puppets. And that's exactly what we would have been like had God not, God not given us the freedom and power of choice. Isaiah the prophet also shows us how Lucifer himself chose to rebel against God and change to become a fallen angel. The Bible tells us this in Isaiah 14, verse 12. It says, How are you fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning? How you are cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. For you have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the Most High. Friends, did you notice one word that was repeated over and over in this verse? I. Lucifer had I problems, friends. And the center of sin is I. And selfishness is the root of of all sin. Lucifer was selfish. He wanted, the, he wanted a throne above the stars of God, including inhabiting God's glory, being in his immediate presence wasn't good enough for Lucifer. He wanted the glory that God alone deserved. Lucifer wanted to be as powerful 
as the Most High. You know, the Bible says he wanted to be like the Most High. It wasn't that he wanted to be like the Most High in character. He wanted the position and the power that God had. He wanted to be exalted as the Most High. Here's what Lucifer desired. He desired a higher position. He desired an exalted throne, rulership and dominance and worship. He wanted worship. But the Bible tells us in 1 John chapter 4, verse 8, that he who does not love does not know God, for God is what? Love. love. God is love. It's his character. All that God does is out of love for his creatures. And because God is love, love is the foundation of his government. Love was all around Lucifer, but Lucifer turned away from that love. He got so wrapped up in his own glory that he took less and less in of the love of God. And that started a vicious cycle in his life. And sadly, Lucifer began to see God as a rival. His twisted mind began to picture God as the enemy. And the prophet Ezekiel tells us that Lucifer thought that he was as wise as God. Ezekiel chapter 28, verse 6, the Bible says, You have set your heart as the heart of a God. Lucifer began to think that he could do a better job of running the government of heaven than God. Try to imagine what kind of disturbance this would cause in heaven, a perfect environment. Imagine a place where jealousy and slander and malice had never existed. It never occurred to anyone to question the wisdom and love of God. He had been a good God. He had taken care of them. He had given them the freedom of choice, and they loved being there in his presence. But suddenly, Lucifer starts making remarks. He starts spreading lies about God, and, and he wonders why God has to have all the glory. He, he wonders why every created being has to worship and obey God, and he thought, maybe there's a better way to run the universe. So Lucifer questioned two things. He questioned God's authority and he questioned God's fairness. So how would God respond to Lucifer's challenge? Well, many wish that God would have simply just zapped Lucifer and he would have been dead and gone and we would have not had to worry about all the mess that he's caused. That way evil would not spread. But think about what that would have done to all of the watching angels. It would have made them afraid of God. And then they would have served God out of fear and not love. And God's character would have still been in question. Instead, God chose a much wiser course. He chose to allow sin to exist in the universe for a period of time. And by doing so, he, it would fully demonstrate that rebellion against God does not bring true happiness, but rather sickness, disaster, and death then the whole universe could see that God's way of love is the only true way of happiness. Thus, the universe would have the freedom to choose who they thought would rule the universe best. And so Satan and his angels were kicked out of heaven, the Bible says. Revelation chapter 12, verse 9 says, So the great dragon was cast out, that serpent of old called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was cast to the earth, and his angels were cast out with him. And so, by his own choice, Lucifer became the devil, also known as Satan. And now he was cast to the earth and he began to tempt 
human beings into following him as well. Soon the whole universe would see the results of this open rebellion against God. But no one back then knew how much suffering and misery Lucifer's plan would create, except one, and that is God. God knew. But the whole universe, including each one of us, must see for ourselves that God is love and that his way is best beyond a shadow of a doubt. Because that was the only way that God could truly solve the problem of evil once and for all. That's the only way that he could ensure that evil would never plague the universe again. He wants every, every question that we have to be answered. He wants every doubt to get settled. This is the basic explanation behind the great conflict between good and evil. But there's another question that needs to be answered. And that is this, how did planet Earth become involved in this cosmic conflict? Well, just as God gave the angels the freedom to choose, he also gave humans the freedom of choice as well. But the same devil who lied to the angels up in heaven also lied to humans on this earth. He lied to Adam and Eve in the garden. Adam and Eve were created perfect. They were placed in a perfect garden on a perfect planet. Everything was beautiful and amazing. It was a wonderful place to be. There was no sin. There was no pollution. There was no trouble of any kind. Everything was good, the Bible says. And God told them that they could have anything that they wanted, but not to eat of the fruit that grew on the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. But one day they were there in the garden and the serpent came to them and lied, saying, Did God say that you would surely die if you eat from that tree? Oh, he said, well, the truth is, is that you will not surely die. He, he, he turned everything around. And God knows, he said, God knows that in the day that you eat of this fruit, you will become as gods, knowing good and evil. Lucifer was telling them that God was holding something back from them. He undoubtedly said similar things up in heaven to the, to the, to the angels, that his way was better and that God's way was not good. So Adam and Eve gave in and they ate the fruit that grew on the tree that they were told to stay away from. And we know what happened. Sin entered this world and death followed. Romans chapter 5 verse 12 describes it in this way. It says, through one man sin entered the world and death through sin. Thus death spread to all men because all sinned. And what did sin lead to? Well, it led to their son Cain killing his brother Abel, as well as all the, the pain and suffering that we experience and see on this planet. Car accidents, cancer, diabetes. It takes the lives of both young and old. There's starvation, there's earthquakes, there's racism, there's terrorism, there's heart attacks, Alzheimer's, and much more that affects us on this planet. How did all this get here? Well, friends, it's because people receive from God a precious gift, the freedom of choice, and we've corrupted it. Instead of choosing God's way, they chose their own way, and we continue to do that to this day, don't we? And unfortunately, God gets blamed for starving children in Africa, but he didn't go there and he didn't snatch the food out of the mouths of these children over there, and yet people blame God. Someone goes crazy with a gun and shoots up a town, but was God pulling the trigger? 
No, he was not. People blame God. It's fascinating fascinating that they do what they want. People do what they want. They live how they want, and they ignore God. And then when disaster happens, they cry out, why did God do this? They can't have it both ways, friends. People want to blame God because they haven't made wise choices, and that's simply not fair. Could God have stopped Adam and Eve from eating the fruit from the tree? Absolutely, he could have. But instead, God warned Adam and Eve and appealed to them to make wise decisions, but they ignored God. And he gave them freedom, and with freedom comes responsibility. For instance, you are free to drive a car under most circumstances, right? But with that responsibility, we hope that you choose to drive safely and responsibly. You're free to own a gun. Just use it responsibly. You're free to fly a plane, but don't fly a plane into a building. What we have today, friends, is a world filled with people who frequently are using their choice in a way that does not involve God. In God is life. If you are connected to God, then there is light in your life. If you're not connected to God, there is darkness. It's not God's fault if you pull the plug. Isaiah chapter 59 verse 2 says that sin separates people from God. Our iniquities have separated us from God. And as we go our own way, independent of God, we separate ourselves and sin comes into our lives. And we find ourselves in a mess. So did God take a risk when he gave us the freedom of choice? Yes, he did. He knew that should Adam and Eve corrupt their freedom of choice, God knew that he would pay the highest price, the price of his son. But the plan of salvation was there when Adam and Eve took their first steps. If they fell, Jesus would die for the human race. The Bible says that Jesus was the lamb slain from the foundation of the world. God had a plan to win humanity back with his love. The Bible describes that love in John chapter 3, verse 16, and you're probably familiar with it. Let's go ahead and say it together. The Bible says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Friends, do you believe that? If you put your faith and trust in Jesus, you can have everlasting life. That is a promise for you and a promise for me. That is good news, friends. And Romans chapter 5, verse 8 tells us that God demonstrated his own love toward us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. He died for you. He died for me. While we were yet his enemies, he died for us. That's amazing love, friends. That is amazing love. And the truth is that we have all sinned, the Bible says. We have all sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. And what is the penalty for sin? Well, the Bible tells us in Romans chapter 6, verse 23, that the wages of sin is death. But then, praise the Lord, there is good news that follows. It says, But the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Friends, we deserve death, but God gives us the gift of life 
instead for those who accept him. And friends, that is the best gift you could ever get. Amen? For all you gift givers out there, people that love to receive gifts, this is the best gift that all of heaven could ever give. And that is the gift of eternal life, the gift of Jesus Christ for you and for me. Friends, God doesn't want anyone to be lost. In fact, the Bible tells us in Ezekiel 33, verse 11, it says, this is God speaking here. It says, I have no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but that the wicked turn from his way and live. Turn, turn from your evil ways, for why should you die, O house of Israel? Friends, God pleads with us, and he calls us away from death, and he calls us to life. Friends, this is a sin-filled world, but we can get out of it alive with Jesus. Amen? Here's how. I want to give you a couple very quick steps here this morning, and I hope that you will write some of these down, memorize them, and be encouraged by them this evening. The very first thing that we need to do is we need to believe. Is there a God? Yes, there is. Is Jesus his son? Yes, he is. Did Jesus die as the Savior of the world? Yes, he did. The Bible says in Acts chapter 15, verse 31, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Now, friends, there is an important note that I need to, a comment that I need to make at this point. This is not just a mere intellectual head knowledge, okay? That you uh, believe that Jesus was a man that existed and all that. It's more than that, friends. It is a trust, It is a trust in God and a God that loves you more than life itself. The Bible says that when we learn to believe and trust in God, we repent. We repent of our sins. But genuine repentance doesn't say, oh, I'm sorry I got caught, but I'm only going to do it again. Repentance is genuine sorrow for sin. And it's a turning away from it. And friends, God wants to do that for you. He wants to work in your life to make that happen, friends. The Bible tells us in Romans chapter 2, verse 4, that it is the goodness of God that leads us to repentance. When we see the beauty of God's character, when we see what, what, what Jesus has done for us on the cross, it touches our hearts, doesn't it? It touches our hearts and it leads us to want to live for him. And friends, the Holy Spirit will empower you And help us to be able to repent of our sins and to turn away from them. He can give you the victory tonight. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 3 verse 19, Repent therefore and be converted that your sins may be blotted out. Repentance is like a U-turn in your life. And God helps you to make that U-turn, to turn away from your old life. By the grace of God, the violent man is no longer violent. The liar becomes truthful. The immoral person becomes pure. The drunk sobers up. And the drug addict gets clean. It can happen, friends. God works and changes people's lives. Amen? Amen. And we are all here today because God has done something in your life, hasn't he? He has done something in your life, and that's why you're here. You're searching. You're wanting to know the truth, and you're wanting to be ready for Jesus to come. And friends, God is going to continue that work he started, amen, in your life. So friends, we need to believe. We need to, we need to trust in the Lord with all of our heart, the Bible says. And then we also need to repent. We need to confess our sins to the Lord. 
That's us coming to God and saying, Lord, this is what I did. This is what I am. I am sorry. Please forgive me. And the Bible tells us this in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9. It's a beautiful promise that you can claim, and I would encourage you to memorize this promise. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, He, that is God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from how much? All unrighteousness. Do you believe this, friends? God will forgive you if you confess your sins, and he will cleanse you. And friends, that is good news. It's an amazing promise for us. Not only does he forgive us, but he wants to cleanse us and purify us and make us white as snow, the Bible says. And the fourth step is, is one that often gets left out. And that is the step that we need to take. We need to receive the Lord. We need to receive the Lord into our hearts. We need to receive Jesus and the blessings that he wants to give us. We need to receive the Holy Spirit into our lives. Revelation chapter 3 verse 20 says, Behold I, this is Jesus speaking, Behold I, Jesus, stand at the door of your heart and knock. And he says, If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. Surrender is a key part in this process, friends. If you receive Jesus, he'll come into your heart. He'll fill you with his presence and then he'll do something remarkable in your life. He will live his life in you, the Bible says. And when you surrender your will to God, you will experience God's power in your life and he will give you the victory when temptations come your way, he will give you the victory because his power is at work in your life. Philippians chapter 2 verse 13 says, For it is God who works in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure. Friends, God is working in your life. God does the work in your life and he, he brings you the power. Friends, because uh, all of our righteousness on our own is like filthy rags, the Bible says. But God is at work in our lives. And we just need to cooperate with him. Amen? If you are driving down the road and the bar is calling out your name, that's temptation. That's when you say, Lord, I'm weak. I need you to be strong for me. I need you to help me to be able to overcome this temptation. And suddenly, with God's help, you will be able to drive on by. That's what God can do for you. Amen? When you surrender to God, he will change your life. He will live his life in you if you'll let him. But God is a gentleman, friends. He won't kick the door down. He won't force his way into your life. Instead, he knocks. He knocks and he waits for you to let him in. Welcome him in, friends. It is the best thing that you could ever do. Amen? I can guarantee you won't regret it. It's the best decision that any one of us could ever make is to receive Jesus into our lives and to, and to accept his sacrifice for us. Friends, God wants us to have a new heart. He wants us to have a fresh start in life. But ultimately, the choice is ours. Remember that God values free will. So it's up to you to choose life or not. To accept Christ or not. God has made some wonderful promises in his word. And the good news is that God comes through on his promises. Amen? 
He is a man of his word, so to speak. And I want to tell you now about another man who made a promise. His name is Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was a British explorer who in 1914 sailed to Antarctica. He hoped to become the first man to walk across Antarctica, he and his team, except things did not go as planned. On board the ship Endurance, they got down towards the Antarctic and ice closed in around the ship. They drifted in the ice for months and for months. Their supplies were dwindling, and of course, it was bitterly cold. But there was nothing that they could do but sit and watch. And then things got really bad. The ice pressed in so tightly around the ship that the ship was destroyed. So they got into the lifeboats, and they went to a place called Elephant Island. But they knew that they couldn't stay there indefinitely, and that they would die for sure if help did not come in time. Yet they couldn't communicate with anyone back home. So Shackleton took one of those little boats, and he sailed with four or five of his shipmates across the roughest parts of the sea um, to the South Georgia Island. There was a whaling station there. He'd try and get help there. But that was almost 830 miles away from where they were at. And the seas would be stormy, and yet he said to his crew, I'll be back soon. He took four weeks worth of supplies with him, knowing that if he didn't make it there in four weeks, it was because they wouldn't survive. The four weeks came and went. Then two months, then three months, Three months later, and the 20 men or so still waited on Elephant Island for Shackleton. He still had not returned. And finally, after four months, Shackleton finally returned. And the men were ready and waiting for him. They were quickly transported to the rescue ship, and they were taken to safety. And praise God, all of them were saved. Not one man was lost from his crew. Ernest Shackleton said that he would come back and he would save them, and he came back and he saved them. And friends, long ago, Jesus made the same promise. I will come again, he said. He promised that he would come back and save his people, and friends, he will, he will come back. Amen? He is coming back soon, the Bible says. Shackleton's men were ready and waiting. The question for us tonight is, are you and I ready? If you're not ready, do you want to be ready for Jesus to come? Soon Christ will come, so what choice will you make? He's knocking. He's longing to come in to your life, but friends, he won't force his way in. He's there and he's longing to help us. The choice is ours. So the Bible tells us, choose for yourself this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Is there anything that's holding you back from giving Jesus your all? Is there anything tonight that you're holding on to that you want to surrender to the Lord tonight? He longs to live in you and he wants to give you the victory in your life. Let's choose Jesus today and surrender those things to him tonight as we pray. Let's, let's bow our heads. Father in heaven, Lord, we want to thank you so much, Lord, that 
despite the mess that this planet is in, Lord, you have a solution to the sin problem. Lord, you, you did not consider heaven a place to be desired while we were lost. And so, Lord, you left all of heaven to come on a rescue mission to save us. And Lord, you died. You lived the perfect life, Lord, and you died for us so that we could live with you for all eternity. And Lord, we want to accept that sacrifice again tonight. Lord, we want to thank you for what you have done for us. And Lord, we know that in your word, you have given us precious promises. And Lord, one of the most blessed promises, Lord, is that you are coming again soon. And Lord, we want to be ready for that day when you come. Lord, we want to we want to be ready. We want our family to be ready. We want our neighbors to be ready. Lord, we pray that you would continue to work in our lives, Lord, in mighty ways. Lord, that your Holy Spirit would would fill us, Lord, that we would be able to share with others in powerful ways, Lord, that we would be able to share the truths of your word. And Lord, tonight, there may be some here, Lord, that have sensed that you are knocking on their heart's door. And Lord, maybe they've, maybe they've kept you out for a while. Lord, maybe they've, maybe they've been running away from you. Maybe they've been ignoring the knock. But Lord, tonight they want to let you in. And Lord, I pray that, that they would do so at this time. Lord, that you would touch their hearts and that you would come in. Lord, that we would welcome you in and that you would dine with us and that we would sup with you and that we would experience that, that power that you bring to our lives. Lord, bless each one of us here. Lord, we know that we're living in this great controversy that's going on all around. Lord, there's a great controversy for our soul, a battle for our eternal, uh, our eternal destiny. And we pray, Lord, that we would choose to be with you for all eternity, Lord. May we put our faith and trust in you and may you take care of us to the very end is our prayer. And we ask and pray this all in Jesus' name. Amen.